Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Here we are, summertime and the living's easy. Which is, this is Father Mike, welcome to Catholic Stuff. Father John, good to be with you. Are you, uh, do you prefer the uh, classic jazz standard, summertime, or the sublime version? Definitely the classic jazz. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. And the living is easy. Yeah, you got the bro tank on this morning. I know it's yard uh, yard work day. Yard work day. Yeah. And guys, then I zoom over here, so I'm kind of short of breath. It's moving day. Uh, yeah, we got a lot going on today. So good. Uh, thanks for making time, closing it out here. Finals are done, and uh, it's summertime. Here we go. It's, I love this time. I'm de- I'm guessing you are a sublime. Yeah, I mean, I like them both, but yeah, I like sublime. Is that John Coltrane? Who was the original know. summertime? I try, I try, I think of like a, a woman's voice. I don't know. Oh, okay. You got to Google it. Go ask the, the Oracle, right? It's kind of creepy that way that everything is Googled. You know what's in right now? Downtown, downtown Denver. What's going on downtown? Walking barefoot. It's the trend this summer. I just passed a couple of people who are just going for a stroll and they're barefoot. Por- Porgy and Bess. Oh, really? Whoever that is. That's the summertime? Apparently. All right, the original. Ella Fitzgerald, also 1968. That's what I'm thinking of. 1968. Okay, there we go. That's what I'm thinking of. That's no, the you're not thinking of DJ Jazzy Jeff, Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Oh, man. Another Everybody summertime loves version. summertime. I know. How could you not? So wait, what's going on downtown? They're walking around barefoot. Barefoot. Yeah, that's the thing. This, I don't know how. I'd be worried about glass or needles downtown. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I had to, so I was doing the yard work this morning and um, I had a chance to put my money where my mouth is with all this offer up your suffering. And, okay. And it's the uh, the dog poo that the people walking their dogs by my house. In the front yard. Don't pick up. Oh, man. You know? And then I'm trying to rake and everything. Oh, and I'm man. like going around the landmines. It, my, Father Mike has become the so the 1050 Pennsylvania House is the central command of the uh, companions, and Father Mike is the landscaping mastermind kind behind of. it. You know, I have to. I don't want to throw them under the bus, but I will. It's been a chore in our house, rotating chore. Oh, really? With different guys okay. who are assigned to this thing, and it hasn't been done in months. Uh, yeah. Well, I would just say I see you out there doing it the most. So. I like it. Yeah. I do. I have to admit. And when I'm busy, I just can't do it yeah but it, it really frustrates me because it's like our front yard looks like a frat house yeah and i've wanted to clean it up i hosted a barbecue with my family and i was hoping please don't come in the front door yeah please come in the back door you know you got to move those couches off the front yard then right if it's a frat house. yeah exactly no it's not that bad but no. not too far from that so yeah well you- it's great i do like when now that uh, classes are done yeah um washing my car one of my great pleasures and doing yard work you know there's something about that i think we've been doing the academic thing for so long um that uh there's something great about just rolling up sleeves and doing yard work washing the uh, i i got the bikes out i had a bunch of guys in our courtyard uh we were doing all the bike working on the bikes some mechanical stuff and washing and some guy started jamming the car wash song oh yeah upstairs and was like this feels like summer this is great this is it we're here 
it's funny to talk to homeowners like uh, John Fraker. I was watching the Avs. Go Avs. Uh, yeah, playing go the Blues Avs. now. The sweep, baby. The sweep. Playing the Blues, which is going to be uh, – It's going to. What get, are you nervous Gobel, about that? I uh, went to a Gobel's Blues a, game, and they, they won big. It blues was like 5-2. I know. We're the best team in the league right now. So hey. as long as we play our game. But, you know, Goebbels a big Blues fan, so it's going to get interesting. Well, I just have to steer clear. It's like Father Matt Book and uh, – uh, Packers. Exactly, yeah. Just don't bring it up. Right. Don't bring it up. That's the diehard fan. I think I could handle if somebody was, you know, given a hard time about the ads. Yeah. But maybe because they're so good, then they're just like, you You talk your trash. I don't care. They're going to win. Oh, man. It's so exciting. So, yeah, playoff hockey is great. It's a long playoff. It feels like a whole season, you know, to watch playoff yeah. hockey. So, But we're in it. Here so, we go. Yep. All right, well, speaking of in it, uh, <laughs> we don't have a lot of time today, so we're going to do a little shorty. A little shorty. Get back to the... Shoddy. Uh, get back to the... I'm going to Federales for tacos with my uh, with my household. So I... <laughs> Hi, I'm going to Las Delicias for tacos. Oh, hello, yeah. man. Yeah, so there you go. It's the taco time. Taco Summertime. time. time. Yep. Yeah, so uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming in and getting so, it done. So I'm going um, to punt a bit on the uh, stained glass. Okay. Because I'm still kind of working it out. It'd be a good conversation, but um, it's, yeah, it's not a quick topic. So I'm going to go for the quick topic here. Quick topic. And that is, today is the memorial of Our Lady of Fatima. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. This awesome miracle of the sun dancing. And um, I don't know, we've told that story before. You know? I think so. And if you haven't heard the story, it's fantastic and well worth researching. I'm sure there's like movies about it and there's go to um, formed.org. There you go. And find the movie on Fatima. I, it might even be on Netflix. Who knows? So when, when it comes to something like that, um, the sun dancing. So part of this, this is kind of a side, side road here, but I'll come back. Um, I'm just curious about your thoughts. So the sun dancing with a huge crowd that comes and they're all skeptical about there's three little kids who are seeing mary and mary's telling them to pray the rosary for the conversion of the world and then um people are like no you're not seeing anything you're just crazy and mary says okay tell them to be here at this certain date and then i'm going to you know reveal myself to them somehow like the kids don't know what's going to happen nobody knows what's going to happen but huge crowds come I don't know, hundreds of people, thousands of people. I think it's thousands, yeah. Yeah, tons of people because they want to know what's going on. And at some point, they all see the sun dancing. And people describe it that way, and we don't know exactly what it is. Spinning, uh, swirling, jumping around at different places in the sky. So my question is, do you think this is... um, I think, you know, like if you were real cynical or skeptical, you could say... This is like mass hypnosis or something. You know, people want to see something, right, so they're going right. to see something, and then they start collaborating about what they've seen. But that's probably not real. Um, but do you think when a miracle like that happens, do you tend to think that it's the sun was bouncing around, literally, you know, or there was some sort of, I don't know, miraculous phenomenon in the ozone? Um, or do you tend to think like God is working a miracle? in the imagination and perception of the people. Hmm. They're both miraculous. Yeah. I want to clarify that. And uh, 
I think you can look at it both ways and say, you know, this is miraculous. That's a good question. It seems to me there has to be some kind of like, because it is a question of the supernatural and uh, of, of the miraculous, like you're saying, that things, um, that there is a greater power at work than just nature. Nature is not just deterministic and kind of just autonomously kind of functioning on its own, like a huge clock just kind of moving. But there is this, also this other order of providence, of guidance, of direction, which is greater. Um, and I, I think that I would lean towards saying there has to be some kind of objective physical change. Mm-hmm. It can't, because if you just relegate it to the psychological, I think that gets tricky, you know, where you say 2,000 people have the same psychological experience of things that are not actually real. So it seems like the miraculous has to be something real, but it's not also to say that there's not some kind of psychological level as well. But you're saying that, that it's, that's too subjective for you. Because yeah. you could say objectively that all the chemicals are doing the same thing in lots of different brains or whatever. So kind of objectively, yeah. there's some scientific phenomenon that's yeah. happening. But you, here's the reason why I like to lean toward the imaginative piece. Imagination isn't fantasy. It's a capacity of the soul. It's something that human beings can do and can exercise and can develop. And, um, and we know that God works in contemplative prayer through the imagination. At least that's the way I pray, you know, the Ignatian style. And that's no less real and supernatural when you can encounter God in that way. And it doesn't happen every time. Right. I mean, this isn't just like I drum up an experience. Right. It's like I open myself and my imagination to to being, um, I don't know, acted on by the supernatural. So... Yeah, I, no, I yeah. like that. I like that possibility, but don't want to reduce it to this kind of psychological, you know, a moment of schizophrenia or groupthink or something. Yeah, I think that that that's that's a good. This is a really interesting question because we kind of, as postmodern men and women, one of the presuppositions that we operate out of living in this time, and everybody does it because it's just in the in the air, um, is that we we have such a heightened sense of the multiplicity of perspectives. So how do you get back to objectivity? Mm -hmm. When everybody looks at the same things in different ways, there's this kind of, and then the postmodern thing is to say, there really is no objectivity. Yeah. It's all, it's just the, the plurality of sub, of subjective perceptions. Yeah. The problem of perception, you know, and kind of Um, relative to the person, their own experience. But I, what you're saying, if I'm hearing it is that no subjectivity does not mean relativity. Subjective subjectivity the subjective experience of God is still real. Mm-hmm. Like there's a reality to it. There's something objective in the sense that I'm actually inter- interacting with something. It's not just, oh, that's just subjective. That's just your your kind of, I don't know, mental processes and imagination. But there's something real to that. And that's that's what I think needs to be delineated. And, and the Ignatian style of prayer, which is, you know, really emphasizes the uh, imagination, has that sense of like, God uses all of our faculties, and the, the, and this is real. These are real experiences. You know, we're reading John chapter fourteen this week uh, in the liturgy, and like I had a, I just had a really consoling experience with it in prayer this morning, and I was like, but this is real. This is, this feels mm-hmm. more real than two plus two equals four. You know, or whatever the you know theory of relativity has to say about you know whatever is happening 
around right now. It's not just science is not just the only objective form. There's real objective experiences happening. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And God is objective. It's the same God. You're not inventing your own God and everybody has their own, you know, ex- yeah, experience of, of grace. You could, I, I think it's remarkable that, um, that experience was all the same. Yeah. You know, they are experiencing something objectively, you know, similar from all of these different people. Okay. That's Mary is incredible and she can do amazing things. Um, here's maybe the most amazing things highlighted by one Luke, the evangelist. Okay. All right. So this is kind of theoretical, but I think it's cool anyway. And I don't know if it's intentional. That's why I say it's theoretical, but, um, what's the Shema? You remember the Shema? Hear, O Israel, Keep the going. Lord is your God, the Lord alone. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Yeah, or mind. Well, mind can, gets added, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Take these words upon yourself, drill them into your children, speak of them at home and abroad, or something wow. like that. Oh, yeah. With a when busy, you're busy or at rest. rest. Yeah, yeah, something. Okay. Hey, that's great. Yeah, so um, this is the prayer that was probably, I like to say that this, this is the prayer that was probably the first one that um, Mary, Mary and Joseph would have taught Jesus. Hmm. It's a daily prayer for Jews, um, certainly at the time when Jesus was alive. Um, when Jesus when asked about what is the greatest commandment, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he's saying, yeah, like this is right at the heart of um, Christian morality. Or Jewish morality, you know, at that point, and um, so at the, in the early chapters of Luke, um, we get a real strong, particular picture of Mary. Right in Matthew's Gospel, you do hear of Mary, the Virgin, who is with child, and about the journeys to um, Bethlehem and Egypt, the three kings. But Luke's Gospel has this extended reflection on the angels appearing to, to Zechariah and then to Mary, and then some of the events of Jesus's early life, right? The presentation and um, finding Jesus in the temple. So you get a, a little walk with Mary in particular way, the first couple chapters of Luke. There you also find Mary described with the same characteristics of the Shema. Whoa. The soul, the strength, the mind, and the heart. Hmm. Okay? So I'm going to start, and then we'll see if you can think of another uh, spot. Okay? Okay. So let's start with soul. Can you think of Mary and the soul? Yeah. Presentation. Well, uh, yeah, we'll get there. I'm going to argue that this is Magnificat, right? Oh, in the Magnificat. Yeah, the magnif. Well, not they're, they're they're not all in the magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. Yeah, yeah right or at the beginning. proclaims the Lord. Yeah, my soul looks like the the soul of God. Okay, right. It reflects God, magnifies God. I'm not even sure exactly what that means. Magnifies God. Do you have any insight into? You're a Mariologist. I know. I that is an. I wish we had the Greek in front of us here to see. Or you have some translations proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Right. My soul. My sense is kind of the radiance of beauty and the radiance of grace that, like, I always talk about in anthropology class, like, grace is not oofle dust. Have you ever played cards oh, yeah. with Joe Digert? Yeah, he, th- you know, 
his grandpa used to put oofal dust on the cards when they weren't when you weren't getting yeah. the right hand in euchre. Everybody's got their superstitions around right. Cards. And so it's like Grace is not. I tap them. Tap them. Yeah, Grace is not oofal dust. It doesn't just kind of come down and make everything kind of nicer, you know, and better. But it actually it's transformative, and so that transformation radiates. So I just think of her soul, which is singular. Like there's one Grace. Mary didn't didn't get Grace here. Grace there. She got one Grace, and it envelops the entirety of her being. Mm the Immaculate Conception, that one grace. So that the singleness of that grace, the wholeness, the integrity, the beauty of it just radiating, that it magnifies in a way. It just, yeah, that this soul actually, is it's, it's emanating something of yeah. God. And there's also a translation, glorifies. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been, I've been teaching that glori- glor- to glorify means to make someone better known and better loved Hmm. so it's like my sister posting nonstop pictures of her little uh, of her daughter um so that everybody knows how great she is that she cooed or that she crawled or that she she walked or she climbs things and um she's glorifying her daughter like look how cool this is i want her to be better known and better loved um just to show you the impressiveness, right? Yeah. So Mary's soul is a model of um, this Jewish prayer, right? My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My soul magnifies. My soul glorifies. Um, it's interesting that the Shema starts with the word here, you know, the first word that Christ would have learned in his human nature. Here, listen. Listen, yeah. That, that's just interesting mm-hmm. how Israel is a people convoked under the word, Mm. Under the under God speaking His initiative, that the first act is not let's make ourselves great. It's just listen, and from that, then it starts to affect every aspect of our every aspect of our being, as you're saying here. So, okay, yeah. go ahead. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the Word that creates at the beginning of time. It's the Word that happens to the prophets and transforms them. Um, yeah, hero Israel. Okay. So let's see, my soul, my heart, with all your heart. Okay. Um, can you think of any heart? Mary in the heart. In this the Magnificat. Is, and it's also, no, not in the Magnificat, oh, okay. just in the infancy okay. narrative. Um, it's also connected with the mind. Um, think of her prayer. Her fiat? Oh, no. So what is she, she after... All of these events happen. Now I'm in an oral exam here. I know. This is hard because I'm asking you like to guess this stuff. After all of these events happen, she looks at them and then she ponders them. Oh, yes. Okay, good. Ponders them in her heart. And yeah. stores them up in her heart. That's at the end of the visitation, correct? That, yeah. See, now I'm, I'm stuck. Yeah. Maybe at the end of the visitation or at when they go home after Jesus Stays in or stood stayed in the temple, uh, and then yes, he yes, became right. obedient okay, to them. At the end of the temple, yeah. And she pondered all these things and stored them up in her heart. In her heart, in her cardia. Yeah, and the, the heart for the um, the Jewish anthropology is often described, at least in the Old Testament, as the place where thought happens, hmm. um, rather than the mind. They knew that the brain you know has thoughts and memories and everything but where those things are processed and brought together and considered everything is in the heart so that place of 
contemplation brings together the heart, the love that someone has, and the content of what they're learning or they're meditating on or they're considering. See, I like that. I, I, I struggle with the um, the kind of... Well, I was talking to Father Angel, a uh, good Thomist, about this um, because St. Thomas doesn't really use the language of the heart that often. It's, mm. it, it, but it is, it's like a metaphor for describing the spiritual union between the intellect and the will. Oh, okay. Von Hildebrand writes a book, The Heart, and he says this is a third faculty. It's a separate faculty. Mm. Now they take problems with that, and I understand that that's legit. But Angel and I were having a good conversation about this. And I just said to him, I said, it's got to be more than a metaphor. The heart yeah. has to be more than a metaphor. You think of like the way Pascal thinks and that there is something rational about the the way that this thing is playing out. There is heart knowledge, you know. And what is that? Okay, so just to dig into that, it's not heart as an organ that pumps blood, right. but it's all the other things that are associated with the heart, like the hard heart or the um, the passions, you know, like w- when you fall in love, it has to do with your heart and the things that you have affection for and become attached to. And you know things differently. Like Father Ian Wintering um, it just came into town. There's a priest of Phoenix who was ordained a year ago. He was one of my guys. Um, and it was so, I took him out for breakfast, and it was so great to listen to him. He's teaching middle school um, theology, and he's like perfect for middle school. super angsty and like, you know, just like, <laughs> they. he's just perfect. This and, is his first assignment now. Yeah, and he's with Will Schmidt right. up in Flagstaff. These are the the companions are forming down in Phoenix. It's very exciting. They're doing they're doing awesome work. Um, but the way he was talking about his experience as a father and as an educator, and it was like, but also talking about the truths themselves. It was like, because he's using things from class. He's using he's using his notes from class, like, and he's teaching because he's had to make up this curriculum. And it, but he he knows it differently mm. because he knows it. You know, it's it's interiorized in a way. It's mm. hidden in the heart, and it's just so. Yeah, it's interesting. It's not just a bunch of feelings, which is not what Saint Thomas is saying. But there is something about, yeah, there's something really intellectual. I think about of the, the phrase, uh, "Take it to heart." Right. You know, like consider this or hold on to this wisdom or something. And I think it's very modern. It's not. This is you know not medieval. This is very modern to say the heart is just all the, just kind of affectivity. It's just emotion. Um, and then the, really where the, the work happens, what makes you human is just the rational, you know, I, I wrote my philosophy thesis on this of like noose a way the, the intellect knows things uh, we could call it intuition. Uh, that's more of like what we would call the knowledge of the heart, mm. the spiritual center. So anyways, just to say, yeah, I like not, that. it does feel a little cold when you like what makes for a human soul and what makes us more than the, the common animal. Yeah is um, the intellect, the ability to know, and then the will, yeah. the ability to choose. It's like, uh, there's there's more. Something's, and, and I like the heart yeah, um, yeah. kind of adding to that. Yeah, pondering all these things in our heart. That's not just like Mary sitting there being like, mm, good feels, good vibes. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so. um, yeah, no offense to Father Angel. I don't want to get in trouble with our vicar for clergy. All right, so there's one more one more heart and it's associated with strength so you shall love the lord your god with all your um with all your heart your soul your strength and your mind sometimes um okay so heart and strength that comes during the presentation where you were going with the presentation i guess that is yeah that's heart 
and a and a sword will pierce your heart. You know, Simeon is talking about this little Jesus and how he's destined for the rise and the fall of many, and a sword too will will pierce your heart. So he's he's looking ahead and he says that this child is going to suffer, and when a child suffers, the mother suffers, and this is going to take great strength for her to raise him knowing that he's destined for suffering and maybe death. I don't know at what point Jesus knew. He predicts that he's going to Jerusalem to be uh, persecuted and to die. But I don't know at what point. I mean, did he know that at his bar mitzvah? Baruch elevator. But she she knows. Did he have a bar mitzvah? I, the Mishnah talks about bar mitzvah, so I don't know how old it is, but I think probably okay. Okay. something like that. When he goes at 12 years old to the temple, okay. there was probably something ritual oh, about okay. coming, Interesting. coming of age. Um, but you, yeah, you see the connection between the heart and fortitude, strength, courage, um, commitment. You, know, you, lo- you shall love the Lord with all your strength. And here Mary is again depicted as a model that she is going to support and stand by Jesus. It's hard to know exactly what that means, that a sword is going to pierce your heart, um, except to know that this is going to take great strength for this young mother. Yeah, that is, um, yeah, strength. What does Marian strength look like? Um, prefigured by Simeon, but really it's the strength to endure powerlessness. Mm. Like we think of strength as kind of like CrossFit, you know? Yeah, right. Um, Father Ian Winter was telling me about uh, one of the priests he lives with has these like bowling pins and he does this like exercise in the morning <laughs> in front of the TV. I don't know what this uh, is. I forget what it's called. This are they not, like weights or they yeah, they're like, like weight, weighted bowling pins. This is oh, Father Dan Banyo, and it's like literally bowling pins. Yeah, uh, I so it's not that kind of strength. It's it's spiritual strength. It's different. Strength of soul. Strength is the the capacity to endure. Um, powerlessness that's what the cross is powerlessness unto death and she is the one who embodies the fullness of human strength but that is so paradoxical mm. that's not how we think of it certainly after the feminist revolution which is just trying to destroy femininity and just masculinize women but there's women have a particular strength and part of it is this incredible fierce capacity to kind of endure i think i think mary is just an immensely strong woman mm. and not controlling and overbearing and but just in a totally feminine way. Yeah. So laying down her life, but precisely by not doing anything, by just being, staying in relationship with him, the presence at the cross, allowing it to happen. That's, that's the greater strength. Yeah. He's cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly that the humble one, uh, that's that tapenosis that you love. Yeah. Um, that you know, your, your limitations and you know, the need for grace and, you and yet that's where god has lifted this person up that's the provided the strength provided and and that humility i can see the the paradox of it takes a strong person and a strong character to know their limits and to depend on other people and um and yeah to give i also think there's something of giving oneself entirely that's associated with strength if you got soul you got um, heart, you got mind, and then you got strength. Um, part of that is your, I mean, I, I don't want to contradict your point, but like your effort. 
right. you know? Like what you invest in, what you find valuable, what you live your life for is putting in your strength. Like it takes me strength to continue to work hard. It takes me strength to um, persevere in ways. Um, it takes strength to um, invest in friendships or to um, get over myself and host you know, uh, host a, a dinner, even though I'm tired that day, you know? Um, well, on the, on the, on yeah, the, sir. I don't want to uh, note this like Marion's strength as like effortless. It's still, mm. I mean, she's still doing, you know, it's not passive. So yeah. Yeah. Giving, uh, yeah, it's not that, it's not that muscular thing. I went over to you, to your house thinking that the podcast was over there this morning and, uh, Steven, the seminarian, he says, Oh, you look like a boy <laughs> because I'm wearing this tank top and I got no muscle. I got no, you know, I got my shades on. Steven Natong is from Myanmar. He's hilarious. Oh, That's man. so funny. You look like a boy. It was, it was humbling, but true. You that's know? so funny. All right. So that's, that's it. What I about wanna... mind? Um, am I wrong to say that mind is not in the Shema in the Old Testament? But because I just remember reading it in the Greek and they bold the, Old Testament quotations, but that that part, yeah. When was Jesus, not there. when Jesus says, "Dianoia," right? is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right that there's um, the mind added there, and I don't know if that's a um, another word to describe these other characteristics or faculties, or if that was part of the prayer when Jesus was praying it. Um, it's hard to know exactly what that meant. Yeah, that's or if that now you got this mix of of Greek culture with Jewish culture, and now this prayer sort of changes and adapts with their own anthropology. Yeah, that is their understanding of human beings. That's what anthropology, right? Right. Interesting. I think also um, the Shema. Maybe this answers the question of the mind, um, kind of in a like a secondary way. The Shema here it seems to me is fulfilled perfectly by Mary in her fiat, be it done. So it's, it, the fiat is the completion of the Shema where she totally hears. There's a, there's a moment of like totality of completeness where one person with one grace makes one subjective human act that receives the entirety of what God is doing, draws the whole Old Testament, which is under the Shema, that one command is fulfilled, and by that God is born, the incarnation happens. Mm. So there's something about like the fiat really does kind of is the is the answer to the Shema. Um, so you're thinking about Mary teaching Jesus the Shema, but also in her own subjectivity is living out the the fiat. She's already she's answering it because the fiat is not just one thing. I, I the way I teach it is it's kind of like one grace. One singular grace, the Immaculate Conception, objectively given as a gift, and then one fiat, one act that, and this envelops the entirety of her life, the fiat and the grace. There's a singularness to it, and you it mean fulfills it, the Old Testament. It like defines her life, but or or more like it, um, it has to be lived every day. You got to make your fiat, or every right. moment she makes the fiat. Yeah. She says, "Be it done unto me according to Thy word." Right. So we glimpse that kind of. It's like an insight into what her soul is always doing. She's always fiating, so mm -hmm. to speak. Yeah. yeah. But we see that, and then we're like, oh, that's it. That's that's why we call that the Catholic act. That's the archetypal 
moment. Um, and this is the whole structure of the Christian life is built on that interplay between the command, Shema, which is in the Old Testament in Christ. Uh, again, like he's the one who fulfills it in the Father, but the, his created counterpart, his, his new Eve, is doing it in her fiat as well. And she's teaching us how to do it as created persons. So Augustine, Augustine says that Mary conceived first in mind and then in body. So prios in mentis. Um, so this whole idea of the mind, mm, again, yeah. as you're saying, kind of Hellenism and the development of the notion that the mind, just a kind of a, an ennobling of that or a deepening of that in the, in the Semitic world. Um, in some ways that, that does happen. That's kind of culminated in the fiat as well, that she, Mary does something with her mind first and then with her body. So I love it. Um, this is Catholic stuff you should know, or Catholic people you should know. The greatest Catholic of all of the history. The greatest Catholic Here she ever. is. Uh, yeah. I just think this is so important to reflect on. Like, Christianity is no longer self evident uh, in the postmodern world. I was talking to Father Ian about this, who's teaching these middle schoolers. And, um, you know, the, the Gen Z. It, it's 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 very concerning, you know. The, but then Jesus also says, "Don't worry about anything," as you said uh, in the gospel today, John chapter fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um, have faith, but also we got to get back to the, the real foundations. If things are not self-evident anymore, we can't presume that people understand the the kind of pattern and the logic of Christian existence. And we got to look to Mary to really model that, so that we can say. This is exactly how we respond to the Shema, is that somehow this has to be embodied. And it's not some kind of activistic thing where it's like, all right, I'm going to love the Lord with all my strength today. Yeah. You know, get the uh, get those uh, uh, pin, pins up and start doing, you know, working out spiritually. It's like, no, it, it begins in Mary's fiat, so, which doing is the, the completion. So. No, I feel that, man. I think the, what was Curtis Martin saying? The, the world responds to witnesses, not teaching or teachers right i don't know something like that but it's definitely true in acts of the apostles the whole thing is people coming to know god by coming to know christians and um i i I guess my my worry about that is i don't want to lay on this catholic guilt so go be better you know um but there's something of it's going to be discerned through the glory of god living in a person through the fiat through the recognition of god when people have gotten tired of the same tropes the same slogans the same teaching of um the you know the catholic church the christianity even though it's true you know there's just there was all kinds of scaffolding to make sense of these things that has fallen and we're at a a place now where to to rebuild it it's more of like um through the lives of witnesses to Christ. I know that God is alive. And people can have all kinds of doubts, but they'll be compelled by the conviction of people who say, you seem intelligent enough, why would you believe that God is alive and working in, in life, yeah. and in your own life, you know? Yeah, moralism is not the answer. The go do better, you know, this is not, this, is not, this can't be the message. It really has to be, how do you receive the circumstances of your life as providential? That that's a fiat. That's an act of assent of choosing to say yes, because that's all. That's all it is. Is a yes, but it begins with a hearing and a listening and a reception, instead of kind of going out and saying this is what it's going to look like. This is what the Christian life's going to look like. This is what my family's going to look like. 
This is what my seminary, the companions are going to look like, mm. which is our temptation as fallen persons. So, all right. What do you got for shout outs? Oh, man. Shout outs. Oh, uh, I said this was going to be a shorty, but hey, that's it is. All right. It is. A We're good. Bit. We're good. Um, well, just talking to these Phoenix guys, you know, I, I don't know if any of them listen, but uh, the companions of Christ are in Phoenix. They're getting going, and there's a bunch of them. Yeah. And it's super exciting. So I want to shout out um, the Northern Fathers. Father Will Schmidt and Father Matt Lowry uh, have a podcast. Uh, they're up in Flagstaff. Uh, Will, Father Will and Father Ian and Father Keith Kenny are the three guys who really discern this and um, are getting it going. And then there's a bunch of other guys uh, kind of really interested, jumping on board, making sacrifices to, to kind of see what the Lord is doing. So shout out to all the Phoenix boys, yeah. the companions, South. We're proud so. of you guys, and we're praying for you. We bless you. That's a great gift to um, the priests of Phoenix and to the Church of Phoenix and to Christ. And uh, Father Will Schmidt was on the podcast at one point. So um, dig in to the archive and find one on music. And there you go. On sacred music. Yeah. All right, I want to shout out Deet, Deet. my brother-in-law, okay. David Tucker, who is the captain of the ship. He literally kept, or well, he's an engineer on a tugboat okay. and is the head, head engineer. He knows everything about about uh, the mechanics and the um, and the running of a boat. And so I am now going to call him the pirate, the pirate, pirate captain, pirate captain. He was uh, complaining that I have never shouted him out on this show. Uh, okay. So here you go, Deet, the captain, the, the pirate. pirate captain. Um, I also want to shout out Sean, whose last name um, eludes me. What is it? Um, Conroy. No, this is Sean, <laughs> not Conroy. Um, Sean at Saint Elizabeth, who's there for daily mass. He's one of the one of the few and the strong. And he gave me the, basically a bucket of Sour Patch Kids for the summer, uh, this big bag, and it's going to last me three years. Yeah. I mean, I love those things, but it's also <laughs> like a lot. So. Um, Thank you, Sean. You're awesome. God bless you and your family. And then if anybody wants to send me stuff, I got enough Sour Patch Kids. Send me um, your homemade art. Oh, wow. Know, draw okay. pictures, paint paint things. There you uh, go. Do Lego collages or whatever. And I would love that stuff. Um, yep, that's it. That's good. Um, we uh, we love hearing from you, and just to remember that uh, do not send things to Schloss Goebbels anymore. Uh, send them to 1050 Pennsylvania, where Father Mike will receive them. Uh, the whole address is on the website. Uh, this is probably going to be the last time we podcast for a bit. Uh, there's going to be the young pups kind of coming in and out. Um, I have ordination season begins tomorrow, and I have uh, about five, six weeks of travel uh, all over the West, um, seeing guys ordained, which is one of the great joys of my uh, job. And, uh, and then we're on the Carwell Trail. And uh, Jake and I were oh, saying yeah. maybe we should record one because we're going to be together on the trail. So Father John is going to, is going to hike the Colorado Trail 30 days right. from southern Colorado, almost to the border, right. all the way to Denver. We're going to start in Denver and end in, end in Durango. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's a glorious thing. It's going to be wonderfully contemplative, I think. I'm jealous. i got to work at the cathedral, but I yeah. will join you for a few days. we got Can't a lot wait. of guys coming. Um, and a lot of this is just to get young priests, seminarians, and uh, and then young guys thinking about priesthood, uh, or not thinking about priesthood, but maybe they will, um, just together on the trail, suffering together, sharing life. And so keep us in your prayers. All right, Pilgrim. God bless you all. Um, Our Lady of Fatima, pray for pray us. Pray for us. Amen.